Are we navigating the digital labyrinth of the European Union's Artificial Intelligence Act, wondering if it's a green light for tech giants or a red tape for innovation? Uncover how this groundbreaking legislation impacts your digital strategy with today's guest, Louis Barr, Vice President of Legal and General Counsel for AI Provider Conversica. Welcome to the Power of Digital Policy, a show that helps digital marketers, online communications directors, and others throughout the organization balance out risks and opportunities created by using digital channels. Here's your host, Christina Podner. Welcome back to the Power of Digital Policy, and thanks for making time to be with us today. I'm joined now by Louis Barr, a father, attorney, and privacy pro who has led legal and compliance teams as general counsel at growing tech companies for over two decades. That just means he has a lot of really great experience to share with us today. Louis's experiences working as a teacher, litigator, and U.S. Court of Appeals staff attorney informed his practice, and he's now really focusing on telling us today what is happening with the EUA, also known as the European Union's Artificial Intelligence Act? A lot of things to unpack here. So first and foremost, Louis, it's great to have you with us today. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Christina. Great to be here. Everybody's really talking about the Artificial Intelligence Act, but start us off for folks who maybe haven't been paying close attention with what is really the overview here for this you know, act. What are the primary objectives? Well, the primary objectives of the AI Act basically is to apply a risk framework to developing AI technology and to meet human rights concerns of the European Union. Now, having said that, this act is still in formative stage, and we don't even know at this point whether there's going to be an act for the EU Parliament to approve, along with the other two bodies that are interested. There's a big meeting coming up on December 6th. Apparently, there is still a lot of uh, consternation and negotiation going on, especially about some of the act's requirements that would apply to what are deemed higher-risk AI systems. Does the AI Act favor large tech companies, or how might this influence operations and marketing dynamics for just everyday enterprises? Great, great question, which you sort of introduced in a sense in your in the introduction, right? Because there's a large, it's a startup, but it's a significant startup in France called Mistral, and which is an AI provider. And they have representatives, as well as some other companies in Germany and, and Italy that are concerned about um, this being a stifling thing, you know, to have these regulations hit them um, early vis-a-vis the competition, and especially in the United States. Having said that, uh, I think a lot of smaller companies are also concerned, and, and they're actually small vis-a-vis, you know, uh, uh, Google and uh, Microsoft uh, at this point. But uh, generally, there's a lot of smaller companies that are concerned, not only in the EU, but in the in the U.S. as well, about the playing field may not be, may be unleveled, if you will, by the imposition of regulations that certainly require a, a bit of a resource to meet. Of course, we're just early stages right now. I mean, and we'll get into that, I think, in this conversation. But even if the AI Act is is passed, it's not going to take effect for 
for a little while. So there's time for folks to prepare. But there are, interestingly, some things that are already on the books in the EU that affect AI, and that's from the GDPR. So we can talk about that as well. Yeah, do tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, we've all been talking about GDPR since May 25th of uh, 2018. Remember the day well? The sky didn't fall. <laughs> Wasn't this, it, Dana? Yeah. Right? We're all still here. But certainly, I think it's easy to forget at times that GDPR, as well as other data privacy regulations around the globe, apply not just to traditional channels, but also to emerging digital channels, such as AI. Right. And I, there's a couple of articles in the GDPR that I think are worth noting. The first one is Article 22, which has to do with automated processing to reach a de automated decision-making. And that only applies if personal data is involved. So no personal data, no worry about Article 22. But if you are working with personal data, then if an AI system is applied to determine uh, a a decision to reach a decision that will have an impact, a legal effect, or some other really significant effect on an individual in the EU, then that is going to uh, require that uh, there be certain precautions taken. And there will be a rights of the individuals who are affected to ask for human intervention before the decision is imposed on them. And I know this sounds quite abstract, but we'll, we'll get to a, an example in a second. Um, but to have that human intervention effectively is a check on AI, you know, on the machine making a very significant decision that can impact a human being. And uh, we're talking about things like a credit risk scoring, right? Or a could be a health decision made, okay? Whether somebody gets a kidney or not, you know, in a transplant situation. So it's pretty important. The other interesting uh, piece uh, that people should realize is in the uh, GDPR is Article 13s and 14. They deal with transparency. And I think it was looking ahead to AI becoming much more, I guess, prominent in, in its use. Of course, AI has been around for a long time. It's just now we're dealing with these uh, generative AI and, and uh, LLMs that have a lot of power behind them. So it's become, I guess, more to the fore. But this transparency requirement is is pretty particular. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to take a second and go to actually the article itself. So this would be AI systems that are engaged that should provide, or the owner should provide meaningful information about the logic involved as well as the significance and the envisioned consequences of such processing for the data subject being the individual that could be affected. And so this, this then raises questions about, well, how much of an explanation, how deep should it be? Should we get into, if, if we're talking about the logic involved, are we talking about how these models work? So it's, it's interesting because these same or similar transparency requirements are in the AI Act, which is still in draft form. And so that's interesting because you just pointed to the fact that you need to have transparency. We need to actually be able to have explainability. We need to have the human in the loop, so to speak. What does that really look like at the end of the day? Because I think that it sounds great. Day-to-day -day operations, what does that actually look like? 
Right. I think it looks like, because when you think about the power imbalance between an individual and a large corporation using AI and, and making decisions, and let's think of maybe a large insurance provider, right, that's making decisions on what premiums should apply to an individual. How does the individual even know what the heck is going on? And so I think this I, I think at the end of the day, we've got to get a lot better about notices and a lot clearer. And so explicit, and for example, the GDPR requires in the situation of automated processing that affects individuals, certain, you know, certain effects, legal effects or significant effects, that there be explicit consent. That's and so, you know, what is needed? I think what's needed is a really clear articulation of what's going on and how that could impact the individual. And let the individual know, yeah, you can question this, right? And I think that would take the form of, you know, if somebody got, hey, here's how we determined your premium, I wouldn't say disclaimer, but a note about, hey, you can contact us to discuss this. And here's how we reach this decision. What does that look like from a digital operations team or sort of an operational team perspective is what I'm wondering as well, because a lot of times folks don't necessarily understand the logic that we're talking about, right? It's a little bit of a black box, especially with the generative AI models, some of the foundational models that you mentioned earlier. And so how do we provide notices? How do we provide transparency when maybe sometimes we ourselves don't understand the process or have this? And, you know, is there an opportunity from your perspective to parse this? Should we maybe be thinking about logic separately than the data that goes into the box and maybe vetting some of the data? There are a lot of systems that are not using personal data at all, or that filter out the data, or that translate, if you will, the data and anonymize it, whether it's putting it into some coding structure and separating it. There are many cases where probabilities are being determined through large language models that will be applied to a variety of use cases where there's no personal data involved at all. Having said that, of course, well, you will be using personal data in a lot of this decision making, but it depends on where it comes in, right? Whether that personal data is used in the A rule setting, if you will, or in how it's applied. So I think it it points to the need for training all the way around for better understanding what's going on and then for helping policymakers have to help work across the organization to not only understand, but to articulate and work with the marketing team as well to articulate in a way that is, let's say, consumer-friendly what's going on so that consumers can really make intelligent choices. You have this uh, extensive background in legal and compliance roles, which sometimes I think folks tend to admire. Sometimes they're afraid of people like you. But I think what's really (laughs) great is uh, you sort of sit at this intersection, I think, of being an enabler and making sure that the business isn't going to get into trouble, understanding the technology, and really problem solving all around, it seems. So what is your advice for some of these major challenges that companies are facing or might even face under the new act? What should they be doing right now to prepare themselves? I think especially for startups, I think it's a little bit different startups as as opposed to, of course, significant players, right, who have the resources. We have a, probably a dedicated privacy group, compliance team, can afford very experienced lawyers on the outside. But for startups, this is a critical, they should think of compliance as a critical need 
and start early. I mean, we all heard many times over privacy by design, privacy by design, and security by design, security. Well, it really is super important in this, you know, with this aspect, because, and for people to claim, oh, this is just too much right now. We're full speed ahead and, and we've got to get market share, whatever it is, we can't slow down. That's sort of nonsense because if you can afford to raise whatever, 20 million, 40 million in some round or more to be a significant AI player, then you should be able to afford at least expertise on the outside to help you start from the beginning because it is so important minimizing the use of personal data if you can, avoiding it altogether if you can, and also figuring out working across teams so that everybody knows and has a clear understanding of, of the use case, right? And then the safeguards to be built in. I mean, if there are so many companies coming out with chat GPT-like products and putting them out there. Actually, even you could say they're nascent competitors of ours, but what they don't have. And so people say, oh, look, wow, this price point is fantastic. Wow, I just watched this demo, but they don't understand the safeguards aren't built in, right? That these people, and not pointing to anybody in particular, but some of these people, they haven't thought about what goes in because I heard recently it's that the data is the code, right? So it's really spending time understanding the data and limiting it as much as possible. And then also understanding the not only the inputs and being responsible with the inputs, but the outputs as well and the impact on society. That's really interesting because a lot of startups that I talk with, they say, well, you know, it's expensive, it's time consuming as we try to kind of get to an MVP. So I'm wondering, is it a chicken or an egg type of thing? Because if you're a startup and you're trying to get to an MVP, it is going to maybe slow you down a little bit. It might take a little bit longer, not a lot, but a little bit, potentially. It'll take certainly resources, a little bit or a lot. At what point should a startup really be thinking about Getting that privacy by design, right? The safety by design. On, on day one. On day one. And I'll give you a good reason why. And that sounds very self-serving, but hey, let's let's talk a little. Realistically, the price of a uh, DevSecOps um, lead engineer, which you're going to have to have operating in the cloud, the price of a lead, somebody who can help build out an AI team, that's not inexpensive. And I'm not saying you have to have an expensive lawyer either or even a lawyer, right? Just have somebody who's well-experienced in privacy and collaborative, who, who knows what's, you know, knows how to get things done. It's just tremendous help. And here's a, one, one example, and this really isn't necessarily having to do with AI, but in general, you want somebody in there who is already thinking about the requirements, for example, data deletion, right? And, and data hygiene. Okay, so you're building out a company. You need to talk to the engineers early if you can about how basically be hosting the data, right? Do you want to have it spread across all sorts of buckets or do you want to have really nice individual accounts? So when it comes time to termination, you don't have to go look and write code that scans, <laughs> scans you know, across a zillion places, right? It's a simple command, boom. The data is set for deletion and deleted the schedules with the cloud provider. And just one example. 
It sounds like you're pointing to the need for a sound steward, if you will, right? I always like to think of a steward who doesn't necessarily have to know it all, but has to understand that array and has to be able to collaborate with people who do know it all. So that Correct. You really see Correct. And it's not to say that, I mean, I've, I've been so impressed by so many engineers who privacy was is was not on their job description, neither was security, right? But they come up with um, great ideas and they raise concerns on their own. And so it's not to say that that knowledge and that interest is not there, but I think it's extremely important to have somebody who's really well-versed in the compliance landscape and with knowledge of the particular laws that have to be met, because can't expect folks who haven't spent time dealing with that stuff to know about that and to take that into account. I don't think I remember seeing Future Teller in your bio, and I don't know where your crystal ball is hidden. <laughs> but we're talking a little bit about GDPR, and certainly in 2018, I'm not sure that all of us could really foresee the tapestry of data privacy laws around the globe that are happening, mm-hmm. as well as in the U.S. How might the EU AI Act influence AI regulation in other regions, you think, like in the US or Asia? How do you see that playing out? I think Asia is a little bit different in that there's some different models at play. And Singapore has been very strong, especially in putting out governance frameworks. And I do not claim to be an expert in what's going on with regard to the, the laws of countries in Asia, but I do follow China a bit. And they also have already got on the books and acts uh, governing relating to algorithms. The thrust is basically protecting uh, their consumers and putting down quite a bit of requirements, but fundamentally making sure that nothing threatens the People's Republic of China, the government, if you will. So that's a little bit different, right? And, and that's very top-down. The U.S. historically, a little bit more laissez-faire. But I think we've been very influential and early as well in some measures taken. Now, of course, it, it's more the government regulating itself and setting up requirements uh, for itself. Like there's a, the AI and Governance Act, right, which was passed a couple of years ago to establish a center of excellence. And then we've got the doing fantastic, I mean, super impressive work, sort of like CISA, but NIST has put out a great governance framework that I've used, even though smaller company, mine is, but you can pick and choose from it. And they've got some great examples to follow as well. But it's a long-winded way of saying that the U.S., I think, has put forth some good models and examples to follow and has gotten into the discussion. Not only that, but we are taking from the GDPR and putting some provisions into bills that have been placed. Well, they're in committee, I guess. And there's a number of them. And I think one just came out a couple of days ago. I forget the name of it. It has to do with algorithm accountability. But the thrust is it gets to the same type of regulation or oversight on automated decision-making that we talked about earlier, right? That's that's already in place with the GDPR. And there's also transparency requirements. And so I I see there is a a little bit of back and forth. Again, the AI Act, it's not going to be passed tomorrow. Even if it is enacted sometime before the European Parliament elections coming summer, it's not going to take effect then for probably another year or so. So there seems to be kind of this 
a seeding, if you will, of the ground back and forth and ideas being exchanged. And I think this is one area where the the U.S., my impression is that, that a lot of government officials are realizing this is a time where it's more important to step in earlier because they did it on social media, which is interesting, right? Because, hey, that's AI. You could say, and I will say in some cases, run amok in terms of some of the videos that are generated, let's say, right through the algorithm, extremist videos or violent videos, things like that. And no action has been taken yet, uh, although there are certainly tools there. So it remains to be seen what will happen in the U.S., but I think there there is a, a general sense that we need to get something in place that's more than just voluntary commitments from the major players. Not, not only to safeguard the public, but also maybe to make sure that power is not concentrated further in the hands of the big, the Google, Facebook, Amazon, and the like. And that's an antitrust, that's more of an antitrust concern that Lena Khan has made pretty clear that she's interested in looking at. We're talking a lot about laws and regulations, what's coming, the risks of AI. You've worked extensively and have a lot of experience in telecom, e-discovery, digital, and regulated industries, basically. So there's already pre-existing laws, nothing new to you there. How do we ensure that, especially those in the regulated arena, still have the opportunity to innovate and create, given the fact that we're actually looking at regulating AI? Like, How do they get that balance? How do they get to the point where they can still be effective and competitive in the marketplace? I just view AI as another tool. It's another technology and like a hammer, which is regulated or its use is regulated. There are all sorts of laws that apply already. And uh, various U.S. agencies have made it clear that um, everybody should be on notice that the existing laws, especially in the area, areas of discrimination, will be applied vigorously to the use of AI, just like any other technology. I take with a big grain of salt any complaints about being stifled, because again, a lot of these companies are getting a heck of a lot of investment. And so, date, I haven't seen any regulations that would be stifling. And they certainly have the lobbying oomph to make their case well heard. Uh, so we can anticipate continued innovation without any threat is what I'm hearing. We just well, have to no, be mindful I, I think, and do privacy by design ahead of time. Well, that, that would be nice. <laughs> but I think the American politicians are more sensitive to the possibility of innovation being stifled. And certainly a lot of members of Congress are very supportive of business being unfettered. but. I think a real concern is the impact on society and especially a government with what has been demonstrated to be very detrimental already with regard to deep fakes, propagation of falsehoods about the government. So I think there's a real valid concern here that is going to be addressed. And I don't think that should be stifling to most of the use cases and the, I'd say, legitimate purposes of business. I think the, the, a big concern 
and this plays in with kind of the antitrust concern, is that if you put in a, a rule set, you may stifle the smaller players. So that I understand. But we've got lots of legislation in this country that impacts just businesses with more than X number of employees or X number of revenues. The desire to foster smaller businesses, I think that could be met while we can at the same time properly regulate on the large companies. Sounds like a very hopeful message. And so I hope that people step away with that attitude as well after listening to you. If anybody's out there and wondering how do they prepare themselves personally, not so much from an enterprise perspective or their company perspective, but really how do they prepare themselves for whatever's coming ahead in terms of the EU AI Act or any other AI regulation that we're going to be facing in the next three to five years around the globe? What advice would you have for them? What should they go out and do right now? Well, I think to the extent they still need to better understand the technology, it's getting that understanding through training, through watching videos, something as simple as maybe getting on the wonderful Khan Academy, where there's some great instructional videos on what is AI, how do LLMs work, what's a neural network, stuff like that. But then joining societies or groups that can help them get up to speed and where they can attend conferences or at least be privy to regular feeds of information that kind of are pertinent to this topic. And I'd recommend for anybody who's not a member of the International Association of Privacy Professionals, it's a great organization that's really been a leader here. I think subscribing to various sites and feeds like NIST, doing a lot of reading. And I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of it is just reading and understanding and then talking to folks who know more than you do or who are working on this. It's not just the paper, it's the people. And it's really understanding the technology. Great. Well, thank you so much for being one of these people that uh, we can rely on to come and talk to us, uh, share their knowledge, share their time and insights. Uh, really appreciate you doing that because I think we're going to be continuing to listen to you as well as others as we continue to learn and evolve. So thanks Louis, so much for making time to be with us today. Thank you for joining The Power of Digital Policy. To sign up for our newsletter, get access to policy checklists, detailed information on policies, and other helpful resources, head over to thepowerofdigitalpolicy.com. If you get a moment, please leave a review on iTunes to help your digital colleagues find out about the podcast.